You're listening to KALX Berkeley, 90.7 FM, University of California listener-supported radio. And this is Method to the Madness coming at you from the Public Affairs Department here at Calix, celebrating the innovative spirit of the Bay Area. I'm your host, Ali Nazar. And today we have Hilary Abel with us. Hi, Hilary. How are you? Hi, Ali. I'm doing great. And Hilary is the co-founder of Project Equity. Um, it's a... Uh, is, is it a startup, or you has relatively new? We are a startup. We'll yeah. have our third anniversary in a couple of weeks. Third anniversary, yeah, mm-hmm. based in Oakland. That's right. And uh, a really interesting idea we want to get into. And every uh, co-founder I have on the show, Hillary, I usually start by asking uh, the same question, which is uh, you're someone who started an organization from scratch because you saw an issue. So can mm-hmm. you give us the problem statement? What is Project Equity trying to solve? We're aiming to address the growing income and wealth gap between the rich and the poor across this country, um, in particular starting in the Bay Area and in other regions where we're already working. I personally have been working with employee ownership and worker cooperatives for the last 13 years intensively and, and going back further than that, and know from my own experience that they're a powerful force for improving job quality and building wealth for low-wage workers. And my co-founder, Allison Lingain, has decades of experience in larger-scale social ventures, for-profit and non-profit. And we share this passion for addressing the wealth gap, the racial wealth gap, and income inequality. And when we realized that my experience in worker cooperative development and employee ownership and her experience with larger-scale social ventures were a perfect combination, we decided to launch something new to, to take on this problem. Okay. Well, it's a really fascinating idea. I'm really excited that you're here today. It really speaks to me. And before we get into kind of what, it, what Project Equity does and what a worker cooperative is, can you uh, just give us a little bit about your background? How did you and your journey come to looking at and saw, seeing this problem that you want to solve? Sure. So, so I started out right after college as a teacher in the inner city, and that wasn't something I was able to do for a long time. I wasn't great at classroom management, but I did get to, to see urban poverty up close, get to see the resilience and the amazing kids that were in those communities. Um, so that was one of my first um, influences on, on why I care about this problem. I, I then worked for a worker-owned company called Equal Exchange, And I got into that not because I was interested in business. To be honest, I wanted to be on the front lines of social change. But I came to Equal Exchange through some community organizing I had been doing in relation to the wars in Central America. And when the war in El Salvador ended, um, Equal Exchange approached me and others at the organization I was working for at the time about using coffee and fair trade coffee in particular to help promote peace in El Salvador after the war. And so through that and through the fair trade mission, I got into using business as a tool for social change. And I was in my sort of mid-20s and learned how to be a salesperson, something I never thought I would do. (laughs) Um, Learned how to work with farmer partners in Latin America who were organized in cooperatives and also got elected to the board of directors of that growing company of Equal Exchange as a worker owner. So I also experienced incredible learning. I got to sit next to leaders of larger scale, socially responsible companies on that board and learn about business and how business can be a force for good. So that opened my perspective and helped me see how cooperatives can change the world. And from there, I did a bunch of work in the nonprofit sector related to fair trade and other international issues, and then found myself working with a local organization in Oakland called Wages. And we were building cooperatives and worker-owned businesses from the ground up here in the Bay Area. And that's, I was there for eight years, and we saw incredible impact from the work we were doing. We built five eco-friendly home cleaning businesses that were owned by about 100 
immigrant women from Mexico and Central America. Wow, how cool. It was really exciting. And I saw an incredible change from the time I started there in 2003 to when I left in 2011. When I first got there, we were doing an impact study that one of our foundation funders had helped us set up. And we found that one of the cooperatives was experiencing 40% increases in household income among their members. Wow. And that was very inspiring. That's really you motiv- took, took out the middleman, basically. Like they, they were <clears throat> getting all the income straight to the, the workers. That's right. And they also built and owned together an infrastructure that would support them growing the company and working full-time instead mm. of working part-time. Okay. So it was a combination of sort of better hourly pay and full-time work and stability instead of just kind of casual variable schedules. And then they got health insurance as well. And so that inspired us to try to scale up that model. We, we built a larger cooperative business in Oakland that eventually got to have 35 women co-owning it and then built a new one in San Francisco as well. And through the one in Oakland, we saw that eventually their household incomes were increasing by 80%. Wow. So it went from 40 to 80. And, um, it's a good trend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a great, it was a great trend. And, and not all employee-owned businesses will have you know, that degree of increase in, in household income. But in general, they do create better quality jobs. And so when I saw that, I just knew that I wanted to do more of it and wanted to make the business model of employee ownership more accessible to to more low-wage workers. Yeah, what a a fascinating journey that you've been on, uh, and thanks for sharing. Uh, We're talking to Hilary Abel. She's a co-founder of Project Equity here on Methods of the Madness on KALX Berkeley. Um, And before we go further into what Project Equity does, I'd love to just take a step back and have you define for us what is a worker-owned cooperative? Project Equity works with employee-owned businesses in, in different forms, and the one that we've started with and, and work most closely with is the worker-owned cooperative. The definition of a co-op is a business that's owned and controlled by its members. So in the case of an employee-owned cooperative, it's the people who work there who own the business and control it democratically by having the majority of seats on the board of directors. So that's kind of the fundamental definition. There are actually seven cooperative principles that govern consumer cooperatives, farmer cooperatives, credit unions, and other kinds of cooperatives that are actually much more prevalent than worker-owned cooperatives in this country. So there's seven common principles. And what, what is the, is there a governing body for cooperatives? What are those seven principles? Who, who owns those? There's something called the International Cooperative Alliance, which is global and does have kind of regional networks through different parts of the world and has, you know, subsets for the different types of cooperatives. Um, And then there's also the model of employee stock ownership plans, also known as ESOPs, which is a U.S.-specific model that is more commonly practiced than worker cooperatives. And we also see that as having a great role to play in this movement and is something that we're looking forward to working with directly as well. So um, let's talk a little bit more about the aim of Project Equity. Um, So you've given us some generalities around um, your background and and uh, the power that you've seen of unlocking business for, for, uh, for good. But it, it seems when I was doing some research on your company or your organization, you guys are um, really focused on transferring a companies in, who are currently owned by an owner and a different ownership structure and uh, having them go through a transition as opposed to starting something from scratch. That's right. So tell, tell me more about why that's the strategy you guys pursued. That was a very explicit decision for us. In our first year, um, 2014, we were fortunate enough to have a grant that allowed us to research different pathways to scale, as we like to refer to them. So we looked at doing scale-oriented startups 
and we looked at converting successful existing businesses to employee ownership. And we did choose the latter. We were one of the first movers and an early champion of this strategy, which is actually now um, being up, up, up taken, <laughs> has been taken up by um, actors around the country. And we're part of a national collaborative and a growing movement that's supporting transitioning successful businesses. And there's two reasons that Project Equity saw this opportunity. One is that demographically, the huge shift that we're going through as a country and as a world, actually, with baby boomer retirements is incredibly significant. We tend to hear a lot about it in terms of the impact on health care and the impact on Social Security and things like that. It also is already having a big impact on our small business community. About 50 percent actually a little bit more nationally, of privately held businesses are owned by baby boomers. Here in the Bay Area, Project Equity has just done some original research that we released back in February that shows that 45% of privately held businesses that employ people in the Bay Area are owned by baby boomers. 45%. 45%. So 45% of, of overall jobs or small businesses that provide jobs? Small businesses that provide jobs. Okay. That's right. And it's actually 63,600 businesses in the nine Bay Area counties. Wow. And it accounts for about 626,000 employees and almost $150 billion in total sales. 626,000 employees, and there's about six or seven million people in the Bay Area? That's right. So 10%. Uh-huh. Of, yep. the, of the area is employed by baby boomer businesses that are that are going to end at some point unless they figure out what to do. Absolutely. So so we've been asking ourselves the question and asking dozens, hundreds of other people this question for the last two years, what's going to happen to these businesses? So it's been known for some time. The SBA actually did a study back in 2004 that showed that only 15% of family-owned businesses will pass on to the next generation. And it goes down to about 5% when you go to the third generation. Mm -hmm. So this classic concept that we have of a business being handed on to a son or a daughter just isn't happening for the vast majority of businesses. So what happens to them? If it's only 15% goes to the first or second generation, the other 85%, do they die? What happens? Um, they, many of them do die, and that's what we're concerned about, is there are a lot of really healthy, vibrant businesses that contribute so much to our local economies and to the unique nature of our communities that, that could actually close. Um, and many are closing already. We're hearing about it every day in the Bay Area. Um, some, many will also get bought out, and often that'll be by a large corporation or by an out-of-state buyer, an out-of-area buyer. And usually when there is an acquisition like that, there's a lot of change that happens. So some people will get jobs in the parent company, but there are always a lot of layoffs. And sometimes the companies are even shut down and, you know, just the parts or the <laughs> like, you, like you would take parts from an old car. You know, they'll take the assets of the business or the client list, but not maintain the role in the community. Sure. Yeah, well, we're talking to Hillary Abel. She's the uh, co-founder of Project Equity, a startup based in Oakland that is helping companies transform themselves to uh, uh, employee-owned cooperatives. Um, so I wanted to ask you about uh, something I like to ask a lot of entrepreneurs like yourself. Um, once you had the idea, it sounds like you have a lot of experience that's led you to see this problem and really and passion around solving a, a major kind of social issue that we have. Um, but there's a big leap between seeing the issue and then actually starting something. So can you take us through that process of how you, you had the spark of like, I got this idea, you and your partner, but then how did you actually get this thing off the ground? You mentioned a grant, like how did you get to that point? 
Yeah. Um, so Allison Lingain and I spent probably two years meeting weekly or biweekly, developing the idea, thinking about who we wanted to talk to about it, where we could potentially get some funding to get going, what we would want the program to look like, what we would actually do, how we would contribute to scale, which really was our guiding guiding principle. The reason to do something together was this combination of scale and the value of employee ownership and really trying to scale that up for the benefit of, of low-wage workers. So we spent a couple of years meeting casually and planning, and there were two things that helped us turn it into something that we could pay ourselves a little bit to do and really start focusing our time on. One was that we had a first investor, so there's nothing like a seed investor. Um, Mike Hannigan of Give Something Back Office Products, which is an Oakland-based um, national company, one of the original certified B Corps and socially responsible businesses um, sure. in the country. We, we buy all our products from them in my work. They're Terrific. Great. Yeah. They're a great company. Yeah, they really are. And, and Mike is a real visionary, has been involved in workforce development locally and also in in socially responsible business. And we knew Mike, and we sat down with him one day and told him what we wanted to do and asked if he would support us with a seed grant. And when he said yes, that was a big boost to our confidence and to our just our, our gut sense that this was something that others were going to want to support. And then there was a unique program called One Bay Area. Uh, it was, And they had an economic prosperity pilot program that they did um, back in 2014. And to be honest, we got very lucky because this was a, a very unique grant opportunity, one time only, as part of this five-year initiative called Plan Bay Area. And as a startup, we never would have been able to get it, but we were able to partner with an established organization, the East Bay Community Law Center, and with another uh, partner called the Sustainable Economies Law Center. And we designed a program to start um, an initial community-based training program for worker cooperatives that we called the Worker Co-op Academy, and then also to do research on strategies for scale. So when I talk about Allison and I having looked really closely at what industries we would work in, what would it take to do larger scale startups versus this conversion strategy that grant funded us to do that research. And when we looked at the conversion strategy, we found that there was a lot of interest. There was a lot of curiosity among business owners. We had a lot of conversations, did some focus groups. And we also did some research on companies that had between 20 and 200 employees in Oakland in particular, and found that there were a handful of industries where there were a good number of companies at that size employing the workforce that we wanted to support. Um, so we, we could see that there were a lot of opportunities, even just in the city of Oakland, for businesses that would potentially benefit from employee ownership. <clears throat> well, so it sounds like it was a very measured kind of process. <laughs> right. <So>. We're, we're <laughs> definitely the sort of um, logical types of entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I know a lot of people just go more by they gut. Jump in, but yeah. Yeah, we, we got very lucky with that. Shoot with that first, grant. aim later. That's not your style. <laughs> <laughs> not as much as most entrepreneurs. <laughs> well, um, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you about, which is so why I'm very passionate about the topic, is I believe in a very, I think it's a very American concept of ownership and the power of ownership. And I think that's one of the central uh, thesis that you're uh, basing your organization on. So tell, tell me a little bit about your take on how important ownership is for workers. It's a game-changing concept. Um, and I can talk first maybe from my own experience. I mentioned that when I went to work at Equal Exchange as a 22 or 23-year-old, I, I wasn't interested in business. It wasn't anything that was on my mind. Um, and I didn't think of myself as entrepreneurial in any way. 
But when I got inside of this business that was co-owned by all of the worker owners, I started to be able to to build muscles and get exposed to business concepts and um, business experiences that inspired me and that built my skills. And then getting to work at, on strategy and financial management and, and analysis and things like that by being on the board and not just being a frontline sales and producer relations person, which was my day job. Um, I got very passionate about it and learned so much. So I saw the how one can build skills through shared ownership. And at that time, I never would have started something. Um, and in fact, in, in my previous role at Wages, I was was part of the startup team for the two worker cooperatives that we started during my time there. But until Project Equity, I never started something on my own. And of course, I didn't do it on my own. It was having a great co-founder that I think has been a secret to success for us and actually for most startups. They say that it's much better to co-found than to found on your own. Yeah. Um, so, so that was my own experience, that through shared ownership, I was able to become an entrepreneur. And I do see that with low-wage workers as well. So if you think of the women from Mexico and Central America that I worked with in the green home cleaning businesses. Uh, There's a woman named Clementina, for example, who, when she started with the cooperative, she was working two jobs and was having to have her older son feed her other three kids, you know, hamburgers that she would pick up at McDonald's before she ran off to the second job. Just a very, very hard life. She was a single mom. And when the cooperative got going, she was able to leave one of those jobs, go full-time with the co-op, and eventually became just a really awesome, skilled cleaner using green techniques, very cutting edge at the time. This was in the mid-1990s before there were green cleaning companies. Um, and then she got trained to, to train other women and served on the board of the cooperative and had that sense of ownership. She, she actually shared literally in the ownership financially, but she also developed that sense of ownership and, and leadership roles through being a co-owner of a business. So that's another example. And I do see it even with the companies that we're working with right now. So, for example, there's a pizzeria in San Jose with 33 workers that is about to complete their transition to become a worker cooperative. We've been working with them for a year. And we work most closely with a core team of the two owners and five of the employees who will become co-owners. And as we've taught them about how to read financial statements, how to understand the finances of this actual business that many of them have been working in for five or 10 years, believe it or not, <laughs> in a high turnover industry. So this is a company that's much beloved by its employees already. But they go that extra step of taking that ownership perspective. And the owner, Kirk Vartan, has actually told us that his conversations with his employees, he's always gotten their input on hiring, for example. And he's found that people are starting to have a different conversation with him when, we, when he asks for that input. So they'll say, you know, I, this person seems really cool, nice person, but when I think like an owner, I'm not sure I would hire them to work here for X and Y reason. So already we're seeing they haven't even become a cooperative yet, but already that sense of ownership is coming in. Yeah, which creates value for the company because people care more. So that's a great example is exactly. if you hire the wrong person, it sets a company back in so many different ways. So if you have the actual employees care about who you're hiring because they feel like it's going to hurt their pocketbook, mm -hmm. then uh, it's a very powerful, motivating force to do good for the company. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're talking to Hillary Abel. She is the co-founder of Project Equity, a startup based in Oakland that helps companies transition um, to being worker-owned. Let's talk a little bit about the actual process of transition. What, is, what does that mean? What, how does it work? And where do they? Where does point A? Where are they start, and when do they end up at point B? What 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 changes? Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting process. I'm I'm finding it fascinating and really exciting to to work on multiple layers with these companies. 
the first thing we do with a company is to help them assess the the fit for their company of employee ownership and also what kind of employee ownership. So would a employee-owned cooperative be the best fit for them? Would an ESOP be a better fit? And the way that we look at that is is through conversation, of course, primarily with the owners and also through financial analysis. So we'll we'll look at the numbers, we'll look at the expected future cash flow of the business, and we always get asked, how can the workers afford to buy the business that they work in? And most of them can't, especially since we focus on, on low and moderate wage workers. What happens, many of these transactions have been financed primarily by debt, and there are a number of other mechanisms as well, creative forms of equity that can be used. And in fact, Project Equity will be publishing next month a, an investor's guide to worker cooperatives. So how can impact investors, for example, play a role in helping companies transition to become employee-owned? Interesting. Well, where does the debt come? Who would loan the workers that, the, the money to buy the companies? Or the community banks or something like that? It is mostly community development financial institutions, or CDFIs, at yeah. this point. And there are a handful of them around the country that are actually focused on cooperative businesses. So they are the ones, some of them are national, so they are the ones that are stepping up to do some of these early deals and have done the historic deals. So historically, about 40% of today's worker cooperatives were created through the conversion of a successful existing business. Mm -hmm. But until the last couple of years, there's never been a proactive initiative to encourage and, and support these transitions. So right now it is these CDFIs that are supporting the, the conversions. We have done a lot of work and, in fact, published a um, FAQ, if you will, for lenders about this. It's available on Project Equity's website. And we've talked to a lot of community banks as well as more mainstream banks in the Bay Area and around the country who are interested in this and trying to figure out how they can make it work. So there's some immediate barriers that they come up against, but some of that is just perception. So education can go a long way. And some of it is thinking maybe a little bit differently about underwriting. Although, of course, the businesses would have to meet the normal criteria for being able to pay back loans. And is that part of the, the kind of value proposition of project equity is to have the know-how, but also bring the capital to the table for the right deals? Absolutely. Yeah, we're not ourselves a capital provider at this point, but we do have partnerships with capital providers. So that is something that we do bring. Um, and once the feasibility has been established, then there's a deeper conversation with some of the employees to, just, to see if there's a there there on the other side. Once the owners have said, we think we'd like to do this, then we'll help them gauge the interest among the employees. And if that's a go-ahead, we'll bring them formally in as a longer-term project equity client and work with them to create a roadmap for the transition. And that has several layers to it. So first, there is that financial layer, and that involves... We know that it's feasible, but what do we think the right price is for the business? Mm. We'll, we'll recommend an outside formal valuation. Um, yeah. That doesn't always happen, but it, it can be a helpful ingredient in the process. We'll help the owners and the employees make an agreement about the price and help them structure the deal. Yeah. So will it be seller financed at all? Will it be outside finance? Will there be any equity? How much will worker owners put in? And how much of that is up front versus paid over time? Is, it, is there a... Uh, stipulation that there must be a majority transfer of, of shares, or are you doing some where the workers get a minority of ownership and the the owners actually retain control? Like, is that a because it sounds like for you for this to work, they have to have board seats and they have to really have a lot of control in some ways. Is that is there a percentage that makes makes it work, or is it doesn't matter? We. We support the kind of standard definition of a worker. An employee-owned cooperative would have the majority of board seats filled by worker owners. 
Um, but we're also very supportive of phased transitions. Right now, the ones that we're working on are, they're actually seller financed so that the, the transition formally happens in one moment in time, but the, the debt is paid off over about five years. Okay. So the owner, we're, we're right at the point where we're designing in the transitional control and figuring out exactly what that might look like. Okay. But with the owners staying in in these particular cases, they do play a role that's sort of akin to a general manager. So they still have a very strong leadership role sure. while they you know, start to work with a board of directors and, and share share the um, governance level decision yeah. making. What an exciting project. I'm so thrilled to hear about what you're doing and excited to see what kind of things you guys do. You know, we talked a lot about the um, the workers and their motivations, but let's talk about the owners for a second. And, you know, when I was reading your website, a lot of it is geared towards the owners as you're trying to convince them. And it sounds like you've got a lot of great owners who want to do the right thing, and that's why they're doing it. And the word that kind of came up for me was legacy. That seems to be, like, the overarching reason why. Is that Would you say that that's accurate? That's exactly the word I would choose. And I'm delighted that that's what came across to you, because that is our goal with the website, is to communicate that, that owners who are concerned about their legacy and want to leave a legacy should really consider employee ownership. We, we had an interesting experience when we did that focus group in Oakland back in 2014 with local business owners. And we started by talking to them about employee ownership and asking what they knew about it, if they'd heard of any employee-owned companies, what their impressions were. And then we transitioned to what they wanted when they left their business or when they retired. And that was when the conversation started to click because what they said was, we want our customers to be taken care of. We want our employees to be taken care of. We want our business to live on, this thing that we've put our blood, sweat, and tears over years into creating. We want it to continue to be an important presence in the community. And those three things are things that employee ownership is uniquely positioned to do. So it is really all about legacy. And we, we think that the companies that we're working with right now are kind of the cutting edge, maybe you could call it for uh, from our purposes, the low-hanging fruit, the sort of first movers. And what we're working towards for the future is getting in conversation with the more mainstream business sellers. And they don't have to be um, have any particular attitude for this to be a fit. They don't have to be staying in. They could be leaving. But if they are concerned about leaving a strong company for the future and their legacy, it could very well be a good fit. Well, I wanted to ask you about um, like one of the big buzzwords around the Bay Area is liquidity. You know, people start companies to get rid of the company a lot of times to sell it or go public and lose control. And is that concept exist? And once you've converted over to becoming a worker-owned cooperative, is how you get money from your equity basically just distributions of the profits and there's, there's really never a big check that comes from selling it? That is generally true with worker cooperatives. Um, ESOPs can be different. Um, so ESOPs are created initially with evaluation, and then evaluation is done every year, mm. and they're owned through a trust. Employees own stock through a trust, and that trust does appreciate or depreciate according to the valuation every year. And employees' retirement accounts you know, go up if the company valuation goes up. Um, and there's a set valuation methodology every year that that's how... Yes. Okay. Because yes, that would, it could be controversial how, how that happens. Absolutely. It's yeah. a, a key factor. Yeah. 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 In in worker cooperatives it's a it's a little bit different in that the cooperative businesses are generally built for longevity. So often there is a provision in the bylaws of the cooperative that would incentivize it staying as a cooperative and not demutualizing, if you will. Mm-hmm. So if you go to a place like Northern Italy or Spain, where the Mondragon Cooperative Corporation is the largest worker cooperative in the world with 100,000 workers, 
you'll you'll find that they the workers there will talk about their um, the next generation and their family working in this company and seeing it as as part of the community, part of the economy for the long term. So in, in general, most cooperatives look to maintain being a cooperative in the future and are, are not valued based on a share price. Yeah. yeah it's really it's really great work. Uh, really excited, like I said, to see where you guys go. I always ask, uh, we're talking to Hillary Abel. She's a co-founder of Project Equity here on Method to the Madness on KLX Berkeley. And I always this is my last question I always ask an entrepreneur like yourself. So you started this journey. You created this thing out of scratch. You have a lot of passion for it. You see a problem in society you're trying to solve, a really important one. Um, if everything goes right for you five years from now, what will Project Equity look like? I'm looking forward to seeing us with an expanded team. I don't think Project Equity itself will ever get huge, but maybe we'll be a team of 10 or 20 people. And being a thriving part of an, an ecosystem in the Bay Area and in maybe five or 10 other regions around the country where we have a Project Equity sister organization or a branch of Project Equity that is doing the same kind of place-based employee ownership scaling that we're piloting here in the Bay Area. And we're also getting started in the Twin Cities in Western North Carolina this year. And I hope that we'll have really strong relationships with everyone from the city economic development officials to the wealth advisors, to the business brokers, to the boutique investment banks, um, so that everybody in those regions will have seen enough about employee ownership, have, it will become normalized as an idea, and we'll be talking to the businesses that they provide services to, you know, whether you're a CPA or a lawyer or whatever it may be about this business model. Great. Well, uh uh, good luck on that vision. It sounds like you're on a, a good path to to realizing that. Um, we've been talking to Hillary Abel. She's the co-founder of Project Equity. Hillary, how do people get in, in touch with you guys or learn more if they want to uh, get in contact? Um, please visit our website. It's project-equity.org. And um, you can contact us at info at project-equity.org. We would love to hear from you. Great. Okay. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening today. This has been Methods of the Madness on KALX Berkeley 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Ali Nazar. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Hillary, for joining. And have a great Friday, everybody. Bye.